started in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the Garden, what did Adam and Eve do? They ran and they hid because of what? They were afraid. afraid. That is the ultimate weapon that the enemy has been using. It's terrorism in the truest sense of the word. What terrorism is, is, is not something that happens to you. It's a fear of something that's going to happen. See, what, what terrorists do is they create some, something over here that's terroristic, that's, that's terrible, and, and then they, they leave us in fear that it's going to happen again. And so we live in this fear of something bad happening in the future. But God. If you've got your scriptures, turn with me to John chapter 14. The title of this message, if you are note takers, and I apologize I didn't get this up for you, but if you're note takers, I want to talk about a shift that took place in this Christian world that we live in. The shift from with to in. From with to in. Say that with me. From with to in. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The shift that took place and all the ramifications that happened when this shift did take place. John chapter 14, verse 15. Now, I want you to understand, these are the words of a dying man. Jesus is about to be crucified. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 are his last sermons that he's giving his disciples. As he leaves the upper room, he walks toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's there that he's going to be arrested. So he's thinking, these are the last words I must give my, my leaders, my disciples here. When you are dying, you choose your words very carefully. Because the weight of these words, I only have a few more minutes left to talk. And so here's what I really want to say to you. That's what's happening when you read John 14, 15, and 16. Okay? Now, I want you to understand something about the Bible real quick. The Bible is not a book of rules and regulations that tell us how to live. It's not a book of rules and regulations that tell us what to do. It's a story that tells us what's been done for us. Yes. I, I want you to get that because when you read the Bible, don't read it as if this is what I must do to be a Christian. Read it to understand what's been done for you. And the Bible is a story about what's been done for us. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods has died for you and I and rose again. And it starts in Genesis and it goes all the way to Revelations. It's a book about Jesus. You're looking at me like, a, like you don't quite understand just yet. Okay, just let me give you a real quick picture. Genesis, the book of Genesis. When, when the Adam and Eve have sinned, they run off and they, they hide themselves with what? Fig leaves, okay? They, they put leaves on them. How uncomfortable would have that been had it, had it been poison ivy or roses or something? It would have been very uncomfortable. So God does what? He kills an animal, he sheds blood, and then takes the, the coverings of an animal and covers them. Do you get the gospel right there? From Genesis to Revelation, it's a book about what's been done for us. Okay. That, that wasn't even in my notes. Of course, I don't have any notes, so we're doing okay. Here we go. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, now this is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's going away. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. 
the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Say with you. He dwells with you and will be in you. Say in you. And then he says something amazing here. He says in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the word that you've given me this morning for these amazing people. And Lord, I ask that you would use me in spite of my sin, in spite of my frailties and my inadequacies, that you would use me as your vessel this morning to impart your words. Lord, anything that I say that's of you, let it fall on teachable hearts, pliable hearts. Anything that's not of you, Father, just let it fall by the wayside. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me break this scripture down for you. If you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. He said, if you love me, it's going to be a byproduct of who you are. Your love is going to be shown forth in the way that you act. He didn't say, you act and then I will love you. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now, how long is it? Forever. If you don't know, forever is a long time. Okay? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world can't see the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is in direct contradiction to this world. That's why the apostle Paul says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not desire what's of the flesh. If you walk and then you live by the spirit, you won't, you won't desire what's of this world. They're in direct contradiction. The world can't see him. Neither do they know him, but you know him for he dwells with you. I want you to get this. He's talking to you right now. You've been walking with Jesus for about two and a half, three and a half years now. And he says, this person I'm talking about right now that I'm going to send to you, he's with you right now. He's been walking with you. He's been talking with you. He's been doing life with you. We've seen people raised, raised from the dead together. We've done life together. We've done discipleship together. We've, we've ate together. We've joked around together. We've, we've done all of these things together. He has been with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am he. I am this spirit that we're talking about. He has been with you. But he goes on to say, and he will be in the future. He will be in you he's been with you but he's going to be in you now that is a major major statement right there he's been walking with you but there's going to come a time where he's not going to walk with you he's going to live in you and so what jesus is announcing here who he's talking about is himself in the form of his spirit the Holy Spirit. And you, you need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. So when we're talking about the gospel, why I'm here this morning, why I leave my family and jump on an airplane and drive and fly and do all the things is because I have good news for you this morning. Here's the good news. At the appointed time in heaven, God gave the nod to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus got up off of his heavenly throne at that time. He took off his kingly robe 
He humbled himself and entered this world through the birth canal of a virgin into the calloused hands of a carpenter, and he lived a pure, sinless, perfect life for you and for me. Because we can't do it. And so he lived the life that we could not live. And then he took up on the life that we do live. He took up on our sins past, our sins today, our sins in the future. He took up on them himself on the cross and he died the most brutal death that a human body can comprehend and go through. And on that Friday, they took him off the cross and they placed him in a tomb, dead and gone. Along with our sins, dead and gone. But on the third day, what once was dead, God breathed life into that death. And the stone rolled away, and Jesus walked out of that grave, overcome sin, overcame death, overcame depression, overcame discouragement, overcame fear, overcame worry, overcame strife, overcame sickness, overcame disease. He overcame it all. When He walked out of that tomb, He was the overcoming image that we all needed. But that's not the end of the Gospel. Because at the appointed time, he ascended to the Father. And at this moment right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, is what Scripture says, for you. In other words, he's cheering you on. He's saying you can do it. And then he says, to ensure that you can do it, to make sure that you can do it, I'm going to send you myself, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of who I am, so that now I can live in you and walk with you and be with you everywhere you go because now I am living in you. And that is the culmination of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says to his disciples here, he says, in a little while you're not going to see me any longer because I'm going away. And it's better for you that I go. Now he's telling his disciples this. I want you to put yourself here. He's telling you, it's better for you that I leave here, get crucified, do all the things that's going to happen to me, and I go to heaven. Because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. David, are you telling me that if I could have Jesus Christ in bodily form right here with us today, and if he could walk up and down these aisles, and he could touch us and pray for us and love on us, are you telling me I'm better off with the Holy Spirit than I am with Jesus in bodily form? I'm not telling you that. The Bible's telling you that. And so this shift that took place was the ultimate gospel of Jesus Christ when he said, not only have I been living with you and demonstrated to you this perfect sinless life that I have been living, but I know you can't do it, so I'm going to live in you and be your overcoming power, be the image of Jesus Christ in you when you receive me into you. So when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you ask Him to come into your life and take control. But then we forget the control part. Just come in. The maturation of a Christian. Lord, just come in and uh, save me from hell. That's the first part of it, right? Did you know that you can actually be a Christian and not have a personal relationship with Christ? You can. If all your understanding of the gospel is, is just getting saved from hell, that's as far as you've ever gone. You are so limited in who Jesus Christ is. And, and I understand that. I grew up in that. I, I grew up in Sunday school when my Sunday school teacher would tell me, Son, do you want to burn in hell? 
or do you want Jesus? I'm like, I want Jesus. You know, it's like telling your wife, you know, you want to marry me or I'll kill you. It's up to you, whichever one you want. So we, we ask Jesus to come into our life. And then the first thing we say is, you know what? I want you to be a part of my life. Stage one. And then you rock and roll for a little while and you've got this, this spirit of God living inside of you and you understand life begins to be different and difficult and you want a little bit more of him. So you say, you know what, Jesus, I just don't want you uh, in, in, as a part of my life. I want you to be involved in every area of my life. And we're like, yes, I want you to be Lord of everything I do. But then you get to a place where you say, Lord, that's not it. I, I want you just to take me and put me in the center of your life because it's all about you. And when you get there, you're reaching that place of intimacy in who Jesus is. And see, the first thing that we get is the opportunity, when the shift takes place, the opportunity for intimacy, number one. Intimacy in my life. Do you, do you understand what it means to be intimate with someone? Intimacy means taking someone into me. Intimacy. And I have the opportunity to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life, but then now I have the opportunity to say, Lord, just take all of me. I want you to be in every area of my life. Everything that I am, everything that I do, everything that I hope to be, I want it to be all about you. <laughs> growing up, there was a lot of doctrine growing up about what this Christian life was all about. And one of the great worship songs that we used to sing all the time. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll... What? fly away yeah just a few more weary days and then i'll fly and it was all about this place we as pastors we go to john chapter 14 for funerals you know and jesus is talking in there in john chapter 14 in the beginning he says you know i, I go to prepare a place for you and if i go to prepare a place for you i'm going to come again and i'm going to receive you to this place and we grow up thinking about heaven as the ultimate goal. Okay? If you went on to read John 14, I think over 14 times in John 14, he uses the word Father. Because he's taking us to a person, not just a place. It's not just about heaven. What makes heaven heaven? Growing up, one of the most blessed memories I have is, is just going to my grandma's house. I don't know if you guys have those memories, but going to grandma's house was like going to the circus. It was amazing. I go there, and it was like everything that I ever wanted in my life was in grandma's house. She had places for me to play. She had stuff for me to do. She had a refrigerator that was just for me. I mean, every soda pop I liked, every ice cream I liked, every popsicle I liked. You open the door and it's angelic beings just singing, hallelujah. It was amazing. I loved going to grandma's house. Right? But what made grandma's house so amazing? Grandma. It wasn't the house. 
And every once in a while, she would come to my house, and when she would come to my house, my house was transformed when she would come in. She would always bring goodies, hard candy, and all of this stuff. My parents would be so upset. Because she would come in and just transform everything. What makes heaven heaven is the unveiled glorious presence of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods. What makes hell hell is the total complete absence of all of that. If you're here this morning and you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, i got good news for you. This is the worst it's ever going to be for you right here. It's only going to get better and better and better and better and better for all of eternity. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, enjoy this moment right here because this is the best it's ever going to be for you. But if you have, and you've asked him to come into your life, then you have an opportunity for the rest of your life to discover who he is in you. And that intimate relationship that he's calling us to takes care of so much in our life. I just know in my life right now, that's what God's doing to me. He's calling me to say, David, you keep asking for more of me, but all of me is available to you. I'm asking you for more of you. Would you give me more of you? I'm asking you to open up and let me into some of those doors, into those rooms, into those chambers, into those places that you've locked away forever and that you don't want anyone to be in. Would you trust me enough to let me to come in and do that? See, that's what intimacy is, is him into me and every being and piece of me. My wife and I, we've been married for 33 years. When you see her, you're going to wonder what happened because she's beautiful. I'm not, but... When I first met her, I called her and I said, you know, back when we had telephones and on the wall and stuff, I called her and I said, uh, Dana, this is David Vestal from church. And she says, yes. And I talked to her a little bit about who I was and asked her if she'd like to go out. And we went out for about three years. And in those three years, I would call her and I'd say, hey, Dana, this is David. And she'd say, hey, now after 33 years, I just call her and I say, hey, baby. <laughs> and she knows my voice because we have a level of intimacy. But let me tell you something, after 33 years, I'm still discovering who she is. And she's still discovering who I am. As we continue to stay and live hand to hand, face to face, chest to chest, heart to heart. You can know God and not have an intimate relationship with Him. You can be married and be living miles apart. So where is God calling you in this level of intimacy that we're talking about here? In this shift of intimacy, number two, I want to tell you another thing that we get in this shift is we get to the level of being an heir to the throne of the King of Kings. No more are we orphans. The last thing he says to this, his disciples here is, I will not leave you orphans. Which was an interesting statement because the, the, the disciples here, the Jews of all men, they knew how to hand down blessing to their sons. They would bless them. They understood the inheritance. They understood the relationship between a father and a son. Probably more than any other nationality that I know, they understand how to bless their sons. And Jesus is telling them, you're all orphans. That, that is weird. But what is an orphan? An orphan is someone that is separated from their parents, separated from their father. 
And every one of us have been born into sin. Every one of us have been born into an orphan spirit because we are separated by sin from the Father until we ask Him to come into our life. Romans 8, chapter 13. Let me read this to you real quick. 8.13. Do we have that? Did I give that to you, that scripture to you? Okay, good. Okay. For you live according to the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Roman church. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen to verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to what? To fear. You didn't receive that from me. What you received was the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Dad. My, my protector, the, the lover of who I am. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs to the throne of the King of kings, the Lord of lords and the God of gods. I am an equal heir, is what Scripture says, to Jesus Christ. Now how can that be? Because he's living inside of me. Do you get this? I'll challenge you. An orphan focuses on three things. We, we do a lot with orphanages. My wife and I go every year to orphanages in Mexico that we work with. An orphan focuses on three things. His protection, his provision, and his position. In his perspective, he's been abandoned, so who's going to protect me? It's up to me. Who's going to provide for me? I've been abandoned. The people that were supposed to provide for me, they have left me, so it's up to me to provide for me. Who's going to give me a position in life? I don't have a family. I don't have a place. I don't have a name. Who's going to do that? And they grow up thinking that's their responsibility. But if you understand the kingdom of God, and you understand that you have been, been adopted into this kingdom, then you understand that you are not orphaned any longer. See, what a kingdom is, a kingdom has two things. You have a king, and you have a dumb. All right? Who's the dumb? We be the dumb, he is the king. And if I live in his kingdom, then he's my king. And if he's my king, he's going to give me a place that I can, I can farm. I can, I can do the things I need to do to provide for my family. That's provided by the king. Anybody that comes into his kingdom to uh, uh, attack me or anything like that, he has soldiers that he's going to protect me. Because I live in his kingdom. And if someone asks who I am, I'm David Vestal and I live in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I have a position here. So the orphan mentality must go, fear must go, when you live in the unconscious or the conscious revelation of who you are and who your daddy is. And you get that from understanding the intimate relationship between the two of you. One of the things that the orphans always do when we show up is they always come out, the little ones anyway, and they perform for us. They'll dance, they'll show off their clothes, but what they're doing is trying to get us to like them. They're saying, if I can dance just right, uh, maybe he'll, he'll take me, he'll love me. I, I, I dress just right so that I'll be accepted. I, I perform, I, I speak, I present myself so that I will be accepted and have a family. And we have that inside of us, guys. We live this life so that we will be accepted. 
I, I read my Bible, I pray, I fast, I want to live a holy life, I want to be a good person so that God will bless me. So that God will love me. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it takes the so that and it turns it to the because. I'm going to live a life that's a holy life. I'm going to do the best that I can knowing that I'm going to fail. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to be a good person because he loves me. And if you do it the other way around, I'm going to open doors for my wife. I'm going to tell her how beautiful she is. I'm going to buy her flowers. I'm going to do everything I can so that she will continue loving me. If you live that way, you're always wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough so that she'll keep loving me? But if I get a revelation of how much she loves me already, I'm going to open doors for her. I'm going to tell her how beautiful she is. I'm going to buy her flowers. I'm going to do things that I can do for her because she puts up with my sorry self. (laughs) See, that's what the difference is in that orphan mentality. No longer do we have to think that we are orphaned and it's up to us any longer, church. And activity does not equate to intimacy. The more I do in church, the more I'm ministering, the more I'm witnessing, the more I'm doing all this, then surely God's going to bless me and I'm going to have an even better relationship with Him. No. There's nothing you can do to increase His love for you. You you didn't get that because I'm preaching better than your amen and already I'm going to tell you this. There's nothing you can do to increase His love for you. You cannot do it. He's given you, when He made that shift to say, I'm going to now live in you, He gave you the opportunity to be intimate with the Creator of the universe. Come on now. He gave you the opportunity to understand that you are now one of His. You are an heir. No longer are you an orphan. And number three, you have an overcoming King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods, living inside of you. Why would I deal with fear? I don't like this WW wrestling, whatever it is. I don't know what they call it. WWF, I, I don't know what it is. But it, it's like, uh, it's just a little too real for me, right? <laughs> but, you know, I'll be, I'll be channel surfing sometime, and I'll, and I'll land on a channel that has that. Has that. They have uh, wrestling going on. And I'm telling you, I don't care if it was a year since I've seen it or two years since I've seen it, the scene is exactly the same. Yeah. There's a good guy in the ring, and there's a mean guy beating the snot out of him. And the good guy's trying everything he can, but he's getting the snot beat out of him. And now, all of a sudden, he realizes if he doesn't get to the corner and tag his partner, he's going to lose, right? So he's crawling over to the corner to try and tag his partner while bad guy is pulling him out. I mean, the scene happens all the time. And right before he goes out, he finally, what? He tags the partner. And the partner comes flying in over the rope, you know, like Superman, and lands... And the bad guy realizes he's in trouble. And the, the, the even better guy that just shows up picks up the bad guy, twirls him around like a helicopter, throws him down. One, two, three, it's over. Every single time. Am I wrong? So here's my question. If I have a guy in my corner that can do that, why would I go into the ring in the first place? Why wouldn't I just say, you got this, I'm setting this one out. You have somebody in your corner 
that can take care of it. Why would you want to go in there and do it on your own? When we deal with fear, this is what's happening to us. We get to that place where we're believing that it's up to us or we're believing that it's not going to work. We don't have a good revelation of who God is. But yet He lives inside of me. So whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that I don't take the time to get to know this, this person that lives inside of me? He has all power and all authority to accomplish all things. He is an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. He has all power and all authority. He spoke us into existence. He is the creator of the universe. And sometimes when I look at my problems, and then I look at the God in my mind, the God in my mind for some reason doesn't measure up that he, would, he can take care of my problems. And so I can only come to the conclusion that I need a bigger God. Am I, am I speaking truth here? Now, is God big enough for my problems? I don't think we have a clue how big he is. My son is a, and I'm, I'm wrapping this up a little bit, but my son, when I say a little bit, that means this is my first wrap-up. There'll be many. But my son is a genius. I mean, he, he's a theoretical physicist, genius. And so he likes to talk about science and things like that. So we were talking about how big God was a while back. And he was telling me some facts. He said that they have discovered stars that are over 300 million light years away. Who created the stars? Okay, make sure we're on the same page here. 300 million light years away. And I responded about like you're responding right now. Wow, that's far. He said, you don't, you don't get it, Dad. He says, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. Now, I don't even know how fast that is. I just know when I turn the light on, the darkness leaves and it's over, right? But his scientific mind says light travels at 186,000 miles a second. So if you want to know how far those stars are, you take 300 million and you multiply it by, one, by 186,000 and you get how far the stars are, which is 5.88 trillion miles away. Yeah, see, it just, you just blew a breaker. It was just like, what, what? Then, then he said this. He says, let me put it into scope for you. The fastest thing that we humans have is the space shuttle. It travels at 25,000 miles per hour, okay? If you take the space shuttle and you get it up to maximum speed at 20, mi 25,000 miles per hour and you left it there at 6,000 years, you would only be a quarter of the way to the stars. And now they've just discovered, with the Hubble telescope, stars that they believe are over a billion light years away. I'm not even going to do the math. That's how big the one that's living inside of you is. We live this world like we think, I don't know if you guys remember Frankenstein, the movie. I know I'm dating myself a little bit here, but it's like the, the scientist created this, this being and then this being got out of control and he began to walk around and the scientist couldn't control the being any longer. So this creature, this monster walks around just wreaking havoc on everything. And for some reason we start thinking, you know, God has created Satan, but Satan is now out of control and he's wreaking havoc on everything. And God is up in heaven walking back and forth, wringing his hands going, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
That's not true. Listen to me. He has all power and all authority to accomplish all things. He is in charge. Osama's not in charge. Obama's not in charge. Your mama ain't in charge. He is in charge. And he, he just took some, some dust in his hand and he, and he blew stars that are over 5 billion light years or whatever it is away from us, trillions of light years away, just for us to discover. Just for our enjoyment. And the greatest discovery that man will ever have, now I want you to get this, the greatest discovery that science will ever have is not going to be how far the stars are. Because they're not going to find an end to the stars. They used to think the world was flat. Now here we are, you know, billions of light years away, and then we're discovering something else further out than that. As our scientists come up with new identities, new ways of measuring this space in this universe, they're discovering more and more expansions of the universe. They're never going to get to the end of the universe because there's no end to God. But the greatest discovery that man will ever discover is not how big the stars are, not how far away the stars are, not how big our universe is. The greatest discovery that man will ever discover is that the one that threw the stars into space wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with you. And I'm holding my, my light bill going, oh God, I don't know if you can take care of this bill. I don't know if you can take care of my children. Whatever your fear is, how much of your prayer time is spent on provision, protection, and position? How much of our prayer time do we spend asking God, please protect me, please provide for me, God, P please take care of me? And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, you're praying those prayers? Don't you know who your daddy is? You're worried about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Don't you understand who your father is? There's a moment where God says, all of that has been taken care of. I just want to sit and spend time with you. I just want you to be in my presence and let's develop a close relationship. God is far more interested in just being with you than getting you to do something for him. Do you believe that? He is far more interested in just sitting and being with you and spending time with you than he is in you doing something for him. Mary chose the better to sit at Jesus' feet. Martha was busy running around saying, Jesus, get on to her. She's not doing anything. And Jesus says, she's chosen the better thing. <clears throat> Listen to me, guys. When you begin to do this, there's so much that takes place. When you can get to the place to say, God, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you more. I want to know how much you love me. I want to know more of who you are. And by the way, you'll never get to the end of that. When you get to that place, things just begin to fade away. Again, I'm dating myself, but someone should have written a song like that, like, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow what? Strangely dim. Because it doesn't matter any longer. Fear is the belief that something's about to happen. Would you agree? Would you agree? Fear is the belief that something is about to happen. Faith is the belief 
that something is about to happen. Would you agree? The only difference is the object of your belief. And you will always default to fear. You have to choose faith. Because everything in this world, in your natural body, your natural mind, your natural being, is pulling you to the natural conclusion that, that fear is going to take place. But when you make the decision to tap into the supernatural person that lives inside of you, you can stand in faith. Why is that, David? Why is it that I always default to fear? I asked God that. I said, Lord, I, I seem to, to default to fear so quickly. I'm driving down the road. You know, my daughter should have called me 10 minutes ago. I wonder why she hasn't called in 10 minutes. What's the deal? Well, you know, she's got that old car. That thing may have broken down on her. She may have run out of gas. She never looks at the gas gauge. And she's probably broken down on the side of the road. I can't believe her. Well, somebody's going to help her. But what if that guy comes that's not supposed to help her? He's just there to try to take, take advantage of her. My goodness, he's going to kill her. Oh, my Lord, what am I going to do without my daughter for the rest of my life? Can anybody relate? And all of a sudden the phone rings. Hey, Daddy, sorry, I didn't mean... But you go so fast into fear. Lord, why is it that I default to fear? Listen to me, this is truth. He said, David, because you don't believe that you're good enough for me to show up for. I mean, he'll show up for Pastor Matt, Pastor Katie, because they're just really good people, right? But I, I know me. I know what I've done. I know my thoughts. I know my basement. I know my darkness. I know what I do. And God has a right not to show up for me because of me. In Jesus' name, we're commanding that lie to go. Because what you're saying, and you don't even realize it, is that what Jesus did at the cross was enough for Matt and Katie. But it just wasn't enough for me. I need to be punished a little bit more. And so you don't have to show up for me. I'll take the punishment on my own. And what you're doing is you're slapping Jesus in the face and saying you didn't do enough. But what he did on the cross is he stretched himself out. And the last thing that he said was it is finished. We sang a song this morning, Fear Doesn't Stand a Chance When I Stand in Your Love. When I get up in the morning and I say, God, today I choose you. Today I choose life. Today I choose your spirit inside of me. You begin to walk in a new level of intimacy if you'll begin to do that on a regular basis. But I'm challenging you. I don't know where you are this morning with your relationship with the Lord. But I, I want to challenge you to take that next step. I want to challenge you to tell you this. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear of something that's about to happen. The devil cannot predict the future. He is not a multidimensional being. He's an individual. God has already predicted the future. He has allowed me to read the end of the book. You win in the end. Let's all just stand for a minute. And if you guys have just a little bit more music for just a second.
Just bow your heads for just a moment for me. Do we have prayer teams or somebody that can come up and be available if anybody needs prayer? Do we have those? Somebody just shake your head and say yes. Okay, okay. This is between you and God, okay? I don't care if you come up here or if you stay right where you are, but I want to give you the opportunity to be able to take this message and put it into your life. Okay, so just with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, this is between you and God, nobody else around you. What is it that the devil is winning in your life? Where is he? Where is the fear? Where are the challenges that you're dealing with? You've just received the truth. Jesus Christ took everything on the cross and he made the most amazing declaration when he said, it is finished. And let's appropriate that into our life. Maybe your, your relationship with God has been stagnant. And you're just saying, David, I've just, I've just been in the same place for so long. Well, it's time to take another step towards him. There's some of you that are here that you feel like you are damaged goods because of your past. Because of what's happened to you or what you have done, either way or both ways, there are people in here that you feel that way. And God brought that to me to let you know that your past is no more, it's in your past. There's a reason that you, your windshield in your car is so big and your rear view mirror is so small because God's calling us to go on. But you've been letting your past dictate your future. And today the Lord says, put the past in the past and take a step and walk with me. So where is it? Where is fear taking hold in your life? Let's announce it. And this morning, I want you to be able to walk out of this auditorium freer than when you walked in.